0: Today's episode is brought to you by Scarves, the classic fashion and comfort accessory. Dawn one in the winter to brave the cold. Dawn one in the summer to increase your hipster cred. Dawn one while you kidnap your father. So it can be left behind dramatically to be discovered by your brother starting a feud, just like in 1992's Mega Man 5, Blues' Trap, on this episode of What Am I Podcasting For? (laughs) Hello again, and welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Carlyle, and this show is a chronicle of my attempts to play through the entire Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the hundred-plus games in between as I can stomach. The good news is... After last week's disaster of Mega Man 3, the robots are revolting, we're back to a pretty good game. We're back to a main-numbered Mega Man title. As I alluded to in our opening sponsorship, our fancy opening cutscene for this game begins with Protoman showing up at Dr. Light's lab and kidnapping him. When Mega Man discovers Protoman's scarf left behind, he is a little confused, but, well, what other excuse does Mega Man need to go take out some robot masters and go on another adventure? At least it's not Dr. Wily's fault this time. Unlike the last couple games, this game doesn't really aim to add any new major mechanics to Mega Man. Instead, this game is focused a bit more on refining what was already there and going a bit further in stage design, which we'll, we'll get into. Some general changes to note for this game. In the previous game, you got the ability to charge up your buster. In this game, they changed how that works. The charge buster shot is now a shot that is just as large as Mega Man himself is, which gives it the advantage of being able to hit low to the ground enemies and such that normally your Mega Buster would be ill suited for, which in many ways means that this, this charge buster is even more powerful than Mega Man 4's already pretty substantial buster. However, in order to balance that out, in this game, they made it so that if you take damage while you are charging, the charge could completely reset. This means that against more aggressive foes, which, honestly, we'll find this game is kind of full of, you will have a difficult time actually escaping them long enough to charge up your buster. So there's a bit of an advantage to using other weapons now, because other weapons don't require you to go on hit for a couple seconds between shots. Similarly, in terms of refinement, the functionality of the rush coil was changed in this game. This time, when you summon down rush, he sits on the ground, and then when you jump on him, instead of him launching you up into the air, Rush launches himself up into the air with you on him. Which is going to throw you off the first time you do it. Hopefully you're not trying to use it to get over spikes or anything. But it does give you a little bit more control and variability in how you use it, which is nice. Similarly, the Rush Jet is still here, and is still in its Big Man 4 form. The Rush Marine, on the other hand, has actually just been done away with. It doesn't exist at all in this game, and I don't think it comes back in the rest of the series. I think they just realized, like, yeah, no, the jet basically does what the Marine needed to do, and we can just let it function underwater, and that's fine. Another unexpected refinement this game introduces is a step up to the energy tank system, with the introduction of the new M tank. The M-Tank is a little bit special, you can only hold one of it at a time, but the M-Tank comes with the cool effect that when you use it, it doesn't just restore your health, but also restores all of your weapon ammo as well. This is It sounds like a pretty small innovation, but this actually drastically will change the way the late game plays out, because the ability to just decide, hey, I'm going to refill all of my weapon energy right now and store that up is really nice. It doesn't come into play during the Robot Master stages, but it sure does once we hit Proto Man's Fortress. Spoiler, he's got his own fortress now. He's he's moving up in the world. Whatever grudge he has against Dr. Light has really motivated him. The last remaining new feature that will hit really, really quickly as we dig into this game is... In many of the previous games, there were hidden weapons like the magnet beam and the wire and stuff in the previous game. In this game, there is a hidden weapon that is actually tied to collecting items in every stage. Somewhere in every stage in this game is one of the eight letters in the phrase Mega Man 5. Well, Mega Man V, you know, letter V, number, Roman numeral, uh, anyway. Most of these letters are pretty easy to find, I'll mention when there's some exceptions of note, but collecting all of them will get us access to a bonus weapon, which we'll talk about when we get there because it's really neat. Still, y'all know by this point how a classic Mega Man game do. It's jump and shoot and slide and steal enemy weapons and yada yada. Let's... Let's start heading it up with the stages because I think that is where this game shines the most. The first stage that I'm going to discuss is probably the least remarkable of the stages. Uh, I know I just I just was acting all excited about it. The Stone Man stage is kind of a good example though that we can use to demonstrate what is different about. This game compared to the previous games, in many ways, I think of Stone Man's Stage as capitalizing on like what Hard Man's Stage and a little bit of like what Drill Man Stage and stuff had been in, because the aesthetic is somewhat similar. In Stone Man's Stage, the background setting of the stage is also going to change regularly. We are traversing not just through like one dedicated stone cave, but actually like coming out the other side of it, traversing over gaps and mountains, and you get this real feeling of like scaling your way through a mountain range. Stoneman Stage also does have its own couple little gimmicks to it, namely in the form of a couple of actually hidden rooms. If you're paying attention to the walls in certain areas in Stoneman's Stage, you will either spot power-ups that are like, mysteriously out of reach that you can get by jumping basically through the wall where it looks like you shouldn't necessarily be able to or spots in the wall where it just doesn't look right and if you shoot at those you can bust them open and reveal hidden rooms with extra power-ups there aren't really any like platforming related gimmicks aside from a couple platforms that move when you jump on them in this stage but this stage has a very like it has a very environmental wholeness to it. When you're traveling through the caves, for instance, you're largely in like tighter spaces where you're going to have to deal with enemies instead of being able to like jump around them. Whereas when you're scaling across the mountains and stuff, you're dealing with like more bottomless pits and fewer enemies, but they're flying around instead. It's it's what I like about Mega Man Five stages in a nutshell. Even if it's a fairly simple stage, is that it is like a whole experience stage. The stages in this game definitely feel like they're a little bit longer than they were in the previous couple games, and I really like that. As for Stone Man himself, the big golem-looking dude he is, Stone Man is a pretty good sample of what bosses are generally like as well. Most of them are actually fairly aggressive in their movement. Stone Man likes to jump towards you, sometimes directly, sometimes jumping up high, and then trying to come crashing down on you. And when he does this, he also collapses, and then has to rebuild himself, and he's invincible during this time. Sometimes he throws out stones that like rotate in a circle outwards from him that can be... It's a little bit of an odd pattern to dodge, but not necessarily hard. It's actually really weird because these stones will basically spin outwards and scale outwards until they despawn by going too far off the screen, but he always summons them near the bottom of the screen and not like in midair where they would have the most time, and it, it feels like it isn't quite correctly implemented and we'll get into how messy Stoneman's weapon is in a later section, because his weapon also has the same problem. The point is, is like, Stone Man is a very aggressive boss. I mentioned one of the things about this game. In this game, they made it so that if you get hit, your buster charge gets interrupted. And so I think they did make a lot of the bosses in this game very aggressive and force you to keep like moving and sliding and stuff to keep away from them in order to use your buster effectively against them which is kind of neat anyway stone man's not terribly hard it was a good opportunity to just take a simple stage in a fairly simple boss and cover Mega Man 5 in a nutshell another fairly simple stage to cover is starman stage starman stage first off it's a really really gorgeous stage you're basically on a space station in space or like on the outside of one to couple with the idea of you're in space and you're seeing the stars and stuff, the gravity in this stage throughout the entire stage is lowered. Essentially, it's like being underwater in some of the other stages, except it literally is everywhere in this stage, from the moment you start the stage to even being true for the boss fight in the end. To match with this, this stage kind of alternates a little bit between a couple of tighter corridors where you have to carefully control your jump so you don't jump too high and into danger, versus letting you take advantage of the fact that you have That huge jump and having, like, big open spaces where you can choose to just jump way over enemies instead of fighting them, or where enemies are going to be coming at you from all angles. That's that's something else Mega Man 5 likes to do, by the way, is I feel like the enemy density in most rooms is higher in this game than it is in most of the other early Mega Man games. You'll enter a room sometime, and there'll just be like a spread of enemies floating in the air near you that are going to advance their way towards you en masse, and you need to find a way to deal with it. And it's it's actually pretty fun. I feel like that really gives the weapons a chance to shine when the challenges are less platforming-oriented or more combat-oriented, because your weapons actually make a difference in combat. Starman as a boss is another... Good example of like the aggression of the bosses. Again, he he tends to jump towards you. The big thing with Starman is he generates a a rotating shield of stars around himself before he starts jumping around. This makes him basically a much larger threat that you need to give more room to, even though he's trying to charge you down. On occasion, sometimes at the top of his jump, or sometimes when he lands, he'll stop and throw the shield at you, and that gives you a couple seconds while the shield travels off screen for you to get in some hits. Again, he's not a particularly difficult boss, and it's not like he's moving so fast that you're, like, going to get overwhelmed, but he does force you to keep on your toes and keep moving, and it makes it pretty fun to me. Also on the theme of really pretty stages, we have Crystal Man stage, which is this kind of, like, I think the best word to describe it is this alien-looking crystalline facility built into, like, caves that are literally made of reflective gemstones. It's it's a very, very animated stage where all the walls are, like, slightly shifting colors and such, with all this weird technology stuff built into them and in the background, and it's it's a really alien-feeling stage, but a really pretty stage. One of the most notable hazards in this stage um, is essentially crystals falling into pits that you are trying to jump over. This this is a fairly traditional gimmick for platforming stages. Is like, hey, you have to time your jumps between these things. This one shakes it up a little bit through some randomness in them. If you try to time right between crystals, there is just enough time to safely do it, but it's very difficult to do that. On the other hand, if you wait, after a random amount of crystals, you'll actually get a spot where there's a longer pause and you can more safely jump. But it is actually random, and I don't know. It's it's kind of a dumb thing to find really fascinating when I think about it. But also, I don't see hazards like that in other platformers really apply much randomness. Usually, on those kind of things, the idea is to test your timing as opposed to your reaction. I don't know. It's just... It's just kind of a neat spin on a very simple platforming mechanic. Otherwise, the stage is fairly straightforward. The The platforming outside of those falling crystals isn't too tough. There is like a falling section with spikes, but it's not really that hard to guess where they're going to be. There's a fairly solid enemy variety. You know, the usual stuff. Crystal Man himself... Very simple. Likes to jump around, occasionally either fires a shot directly at you, or more commonly, fires out a slew of crystals that start bouncing diagonally around the room. It's kind of reminiscent of the Gemini Man fight, in that the projectile does have that diagonal bounce to it. It's kind of funny, though. I mean, all the Mega Man games have had a little bit of slowdown. When too much is going on on screen, that Capcom was not worried about accidentally overloading the frame rate when they made these games. They were just like, "Hey, if that's if that's what happens when this game runs this way, okay, so be it." Crystal Man, like every time he does this. Just his bouncing crystals alone slow the game down, and it just seems funny to me that, like, it's actually advantageous to you for him to do that, because it makes it easy for you to dodge them, because you have, like, more time to read where they're going and stuff. It just, it was very funny to me. But that's him. He's fairly chill. He's fairly easy. Next, to head back to some of the more thematically, like, complete experience stages, we'll head over to Chargeman's stage. Charge Man. Based on the name, I have no idea what you guys are expecting in your head if you've never seen this Robot Master before. He's basically a train on legs, which is its is kind of honestly as goofy as it sounds. It's like Thomas the Tank Engine literally just grew a pair of legs and arms and was done with everyone and fittingly for a boss whose design is being a train he is on a train so this stage kind of takes you through like running through a station boarding the back of the train and then right as you get on it takes off and you're climbing between both like the roof sections of the train and the interior sections of the train and coming down and back up and like working your way through it's in terms of like stage gimmicks or enemy designs or anything other than the metars who are riding the trains that are adorable there isn't much gimmick wise to talk about in this stage but it's it just feels like a fun level, just purely on the strength of the presentation of it. There's a really cool thing, too, where the music is, like, accompanied in certain sections where you can hear, like, the rumbling of the train tracks and stuff as an ambient sound effect. I I really like the stage thematically. Man is not a boss who jumps around, but he's still going to get aggressive with you, constantly chasing you around. Sometimes he, like, charges up and goes red and, like, dashes at your location while invincible. Other times... When turning red, he toots his horn and causes, like, a burst of projectiles to fall down. He isn't necessarily super tough. Again, I don't think most of the bosses in this game are super tough. Maybe I'm just getting really used to Mega Man bosses. But the fact that he's going frequently, like, semi-invincible, and that he's constantly forcing you to, like, jump over him and be ready for different attacks does keep you on your toes. I feel like I've reinforced that statement a couple times now. Anyway, let's set up a bit of an adventure while we're on the subject of Charge Man Stage with Napalm Man Stage. on Man stage has the energy of like an old 80s like rambo-esque action movie by which i mean we're literally starting out in a jungle fighting our way through robotic towers going through a uh, secret underground caves and then coming out at like a military base that's lined with like enemies themed around missiles and tanks and stuff like it very very much feels like they designed that with a thematic in mind and just went whole hog on it One thing that does come back in this stage, if you remember the pit jumpers from 4, they brought that back, except for this stage's version of them, the missiles that pop out of the pits and try to get in your way have way more HP. Like, it is actually pretty ridiculous to even really think that much about trying to take them out before they just settle back into the pit anyway, so it's better to just pause and wait for them. You can't just, like, skull barrier your way through this. Napalm Man kind of continues the aggressive pattern. His deal is that after every jump, he will use one of two different weapons. He will either fire off a trio of staggered out missiles that you're going to have to jump over each one of them, or he will lob a couple explosives that will, combine create a fairly wide explosion. You have to be a little bit more proactive with Napalm Man, because while he doesn't have like invincibility tricks like some of the other bosses, if he backs you into a corner, it's going to be really hard to dodge his explosive weaponry, so you have to like actively work to switch sides with him by going under him, as opposed to just, like, backing away from him steadily. I don't know. He's, again, he's fun to fight. He's simple, but he's fun. Gyro Man Stage? mm, Nope. Gyro Man Stage? Not themed, after, uh, Greek food. Gyro as in gyrocopter, gyroscope, like, propellers. Gyro Man Stage definitely puts the emphasis back on platforming, suspended in the air, kind of Air Man style. So, you'll have a few spots where you've got like collapsing platforms you'll need to continue running across while enemies try to fall down on you. You'll have sections where you do need to make like jumps onto thin platforms while also taking care of enemies that might try to knock you down. There's an interesting segment where you board an elevator that slowly climbs upwards, and coming down at you at the same time are like spiked platforms that you need to weave between. It's just a really solidly varied upstage with just enough little set pieces to really help it be fun. Gyro Man does fight noticeably different from the other bosses that we've been dealing with so far. The top of the stage during Gyro Man's fight is actually covered in clouds, and he will fly up and obscure himself in those clouds, and then drop down little rotor blades that will reach Mega Man's level and then fly sideways to him. And he'll do this like once or twice, and then he'll jump down and you'll actually be able to hit him. He's meant to be made difficult by the fact that you can't really tell where he is at any given time. He's just up there somewhere, and you need to wait for him to show up and make himself vulnerable again. Definitely one of the more distinctive Robot Master patterns, actually, I think. Although... Not as cool as one of the ones we're going to get to. But first, we have to talk about one of the most distinctive stages in this game, if not one of the most distinctive stages in classic Mega Man, with Wave Man's stage. Wave stage is basically divided into two very, very distinctive halves. The first half is climbing through like a water processing facility. There's no enemies in this half of the stage. It is entirely just obstacles like swinging maces or like steam vents that you need to work your way around. It is capped off in this section with the ball. Room In this room, there's some little jets at the bottom of the floor that are creating bubbles, and you can jump onto and stand on these bubbles. And if it's a large bubble, it can carry you infinitely. If it's a small bubble, it'll pop after a couple seconds. You use a large bubble to climb up to the next screen, and you're kind of just scaling by jumping across these bubbles in order to reach the next large bubble that'll carry you up further, as opposed to into spikes. It's, it's a little bit of a weird thing to deal with the first time you come across it, and it's not hard to deal with once you know how it works, but it's really neat to me that they just they just decided this entire first half of the stage just wouldn't have enemies. It would just be you trying to figure out how to safely maneuver through these obstacles. In the second half of the stage, we actually jump on board a jet ski and start traveling across, I don't know, the rapids somewhere. This is the first vehicular segment in the entire series. You cannot switch to other weapons during this segment. You are just riding this jet ski it only allows you to shoot to the right by the way despite the fact that there are enemies that will try to come from the left to hit you from time to time so you can't just stay against the far left wall it kind of functions basically like an auto-scroller as you're dealing with all these enemies that are coming at you eventually you get into one of the only mini bosses in this game which is like a giant octopus tank thing that comes out oh octopus isn't quite because an octopus actually has legs and this is more like the zelda Rocks, where it like pops out and then, like, fires a shot at you and sinks back down. Basically, it's like one-part auto-scroller, very simple combat. Your your tools are limited, which is admittedly a good reason to dislike the vehicular segments. If you're going to put combat into a segment, it would be really nice if you could actually use the tools that you've picked up. It does have probably the most annoying letter to pick up in the game, in terms of, like, those, those eight Mega Man 5 letters that I mentioned, because it's right at the end of this section. And the way the enemies are positioned right before it, if you're not ready for them, there's an extremely high chance that they're going to hit you, and you're going to be in hit stun and unable to jump while the letter just flies over your head. It's sneaky. Then we finally get Waveman himself. His deal is that after he jumps, he will create a geyser somewhere in the floor by breaking it open. That geyser is semi-randomly located. If you're not jumping, it can actually spawn literally underneath you, so you have to be careful of that. It will also block off your shots, so it can be a little bit tricky to hit him. You just need to make sure that you're actually, like, timing your shots so they're fired while he's jumping in the air and there's nothing to block it, as opposed to trying to, like, jump over the geyser and hit him then. A fairly straightforward boss to end what is otherwise, like... Well, I mean, a straightforward stage. There aren't, like, branching paths in this one, but, like, a very, very unique stage from a gameplay design perspective. But my favorite stage in this game, and... Probably one of my favorite stages in classic Mega Man. At the very least, out of these, like, five games that we have played, but one of my favorite stages, I think, of Mega Man in general, goes to Gravity Man's stage. Gravity Man's stage is set in a sci-fi laboratory type of place. The big feature of Gravity Man's stage is that in the background you'll see sections where there's arrows pointed up or down that are lit up, and when you pass by these arrows, your gravity will flip, and you will now be running around on the ceiling. Enemies, however, and weapons and such, don't apply to this. They they still hang around where they are, they still hang around on the floor. It's not like gravity flipping isn't... A gimmick that's been used in a ton of games before because it has but i really like the way gravity man's does it because it doesn't really mess with your controls you still press in the directions that you want to go if you're jumping onto a ladder and you want to climb down towards the bottom of the screen you will jump towards the ladder and still hit down on your control pad because you want to go down it also makes a point to while there's a variety of enemies around and stuff it doesn't really force you into any like weird, awkward jumps where you have to do something weird or you'll die. Like, it is fairly generous for a stage that does this, letting you take obstacles one by one and keeping them from being deadly if screwed up. It's just really solidly executed version of a gimmick that I have absolutely seen games screw up. And I think if this gimmick had been in certain earlier games in the series, really could have been like, if this had been like in Wily's Castle in Mega Man 2 or something, it could have been absolutely nightmarish. Gravity Man himself is also one of the funnest bosses in the series. He isn't aggressive in the same way. The big thing in the Gravity Man fight is that He always has you and himself on opposite gravities. So when you're on the ceiling, he's on the floor or vice versa. After doing a short run or a long jump, he will flip gravity around. And then you'll have the opportunity as you pass by him to hit him. But you also have to be careful because he's occasionally firing aim shots at you too. So it's not like you can just wait right in his face because every once in a while that will just line you up for an easy shot for him as well. It's this really cool battle dynamic that I... I don't know if there is another fight in the entire series that really works this way where you are looking for an opportunity to hit because you are sort of like mirroring each other. It's just really cool. Anyway, I've talked plenty enough about the Robot Master stages. Let's go hit up their weapons. Now, For all the love that I have for Mega Man 5 as a childhood game, as, like, for its stages, for its boss fights that are really fun, I do have to admit, the weapon selection in this game is getting a little bit weak. (laughs) Possibly because it's just really hard to continue to come up with new weapons or new variants of weapons. But even without the fact that some of these weapons need to compete with the Mega Buster, some of them are just bad weapons. Of which I'm going to start off with the Power Stone as my least favorite weapon, and I would be surprised if anybody disagrees with me. It is a creative weapon. I will give it that. The Power Stone launches a trio of stones around Mega Man, and then they, like, spiral outwards from his position. If they go too far off screen in any direction, they do disappear. And fortunately, if you do need to fire off another one, you can, like, open up the pause menu, and that'll despawn the projectiles, and then you can fire another. But here's the thing about the Power Stone. First off, the outward spiraling attack radius of it is really hard to deliberately aim to hit anything, especially not anything mobile, and even if you do manage to hit with it, the power on this weapon is, like, unremarkable. It doesn't, like, destroy things that it comes into contact with, it just kind of lightly taps them. Unless they're weak enemies anyway, in which case there's better weapons for dealing with them. And it also has a hell of a time against Chargeman, who is weak to it. Not just because it is hard to hit a really mobile target like Chargeman with it, but also because Chargeman regularly goes invincible. And so even if you do manage to line up a shot with it, there's a decent chance that by the time it reaches him, Chargeman will just bounce the attack off of himself. It's a bad weapon for its robot master that is weak to it. It's a bad weapon for general purpose stage use. It's a bad weapon. In fact, it might be one of my least favorite in the classic series to date. It's not quite Superarm bad, but also I will give Superarm the fact that on the few screens where it works, it does actually do something. Power Stone works in more opportunities, but it doesn't feel like it ever achieves anything. So, ouch, we're off to a great start. Also not helping is the water wave. The water wave is basically like the bubble lead from Mega Man 2, in that it creates a couple geysers that travel on the ground fairly quickly at that, and if they go off of a cliff, they will just like fall and then continue down on the next platform. It does have the advantage that if it's dealing with enemies that it kills, it will just pass through them and move on to the next one, but the biggest issue with the water wave is that it literally only works on the ground. The bubble lead, at least to the advantage, that you could jump up and fire it at something's face, and it did good damage to things, I found. The water wave, technically, there's a couple enemies in the game that are weak to it, but they're not particularly notable enemies in terms of that weakness. Like, it's not like something you couldn't deal with with other weapons. If you have to hit an enemy on, like, a higher platform or something, you literally can't with this weapon. The only thing it's good for is that it does pierce straight through Starman's shield to hit him. In fact, it dispels his shield, so it's an excellent matchup weapon for dealing with Starman, but that's basically the only time you're going to use the Water Wave in this game. And if you think that, oh, well, at least it's a weapon that lets me hit stuff below me, we'll get to that. There's a better weapon for that job. The Crystal Eye is next. It is a single larger projectile that if it hits a wall, then splits into three different shards that bounce around. These bouncing shards are kind of reminiscent of the same problem that the Gemini Beam had back in Mega Man 3. They slow the game down, you'll have to cancel the projectiles in order to use another one if it misses. If it actually splits, you do get more total damage out of it, but in order for it to split, it has to hit a wall, not an enemy. An enemy will just absorb the whole initial projectile and actually take less damage, and it just makes it a clunky and really unremarkable weapon, honestly. The advantage it has is that there is a couple different bosses that are weak to it. Napalm Man's weak to it, and a couple different fortress bosses are weak to it, but eh. Reaching into an area of at least somewhat usable is the gyro attack. This is essentially a propeller blade that you throw straight forward, and then if you hit up or down while the propeller blade is up, it will actually turn in that direction. It's basically kind of all the benefits, theoretically, that like the magnet missile should have had, but you as a player have control over it. This does enable it to hit enemies that are out of your reach in a few different locations, and that, that versatility can help, actually, a decent amount. The biggest limitation I found with the gyro attack is that it just doesn't do much damage. You can't really use it to take out bulkier enemies without spending a good chunk of ammo and time, so I didn't really like it all that much. If it had a little bit more kick to it, though, I think it actually could have been a really good weapon. In terms of weapons that do have kick, we have the Napalm Bomb. This is the weapon that basically obsoletes the water wave. It is a low-to-the-ground, bouncing, kind of slow projectile. You can throw it off of ledges to hit enemies below you, like you would with the water wave, because it does actually respect gravity. The biggest advantage to the napalm bomb, you can spam out multiple of them, surprisingly quickly, and it does actually deal really good damage to all the enemy types in this game that actually have a lot of HP, like these giant robot things. Like, every Mega Man game has had some variant of, like, a giant robot sentinel that takes a lot of shots to defeat. This is the weapon for clearing those types of things out, and the fact that it can essentially hit stuff on ledges below you is just, like, a cool secondary advantage. This is a weapon actually worth switching to off of your Mega Busters sometime just in order to deal with these specific enemies. The next weapon I want to highlight is a weapon that almost probably could have been the best in the game, but not quite there. It's the charge kick. If you remember the top spin back in Mega Man 3, and the way that it basically turned it so that while you were jumping, you had the advantage when running into things. The charge kick is that but for sliding. While you slide with the charge kick equipped, you don't take any damage, you deal pretty high damage to anything you pass through. It's really nice, but it is limited by the fact that it is done While sliding, if you slide off of a ledge, your slide is immediately cancelled, and that means that you will hit enemies that you didn't quite kill. There are tons of rooms that use either small platforms or like keep jumping between different layers of platforms as opposed to giving you room to just like take advantage of this and slide straight through everything, but there are places in the game where you can just slide your way through a room with this, and it's really good in those moments. If you look for the opportunities to use Charge Kick, you will find some of them, and it is good for it. And that is a good way to design a weapon, is if it's actually effective in cases where you could be using it. Cool. The next weapon I want to highlight is a little bit weird because it doesn't... Well, it comes from Starman, but it's not Starman's weapon. It's the Super Arrow. This is a little bit weird, because it's kind of the third transportation tool, like a replacement to the Rush Marine. You can use the super arrow as just a weapon, and then it's, it's basically like a plunger arrow that you put in front of you, and then a moment later... It will just, like, start launching off at high speeds forwards. As an actual offensive weapon, it isn't necessarily anything that special. What is cool about it, though, is that you have the ability to jump onto this thing and then ride it. And while it can only move straight forward, unlike the rush jet where you have some vertical control, and your ammo will be consumed super fast while riding it, you prevent it from being abused the super arrow if you line this up in certain rooms in this game you can ride a super arrow completely through an otherwise troublesome room it is very much a weapon that gives you some room to really master Mega Man 5 plus you don't even have to use it like that the fact that you can place another super arrow while there is already a super arrow out you can use it if you're really good to like just basically scale straight up a wall by jumping back and forth between super arrows really quickly it is not my favorite weapon in this game, but I think some would argue it is one of the best weapons, and it is definitely one of the weapons in a Mega Man game that allows for the most expression of skill. And normally I would put these utility weapons off in their own section, but this is technically a weapon as well. You can shoot it at enemies. It's poor on that front, but it is awesome in its support use. Next up, our number two weapon for this game is the Gravity Hold. Press button, flash screen, and damage everything. It's kind of like the uh, the Rain Flush from Toad Man in the previous game. Except, this one is just instantaneous. It's not, like, uber-powerful or anything. Some tougher enemies will require two or three shots, and it does only hold eight shots at a time. But, any enemy you defeat with it does get thrown off the top of the screen, which is, first off, fun to look at. Second off, does mean they don't drop any items, unfortunately. But the biggest thing about the gravity hold is, if you end up in a room where you are surrounded by a ton of smaller enemies chasing you down, you can just press this button and you clear the screen. That's hard to understate just how good that actually is. If this weapon didn't have the ammo limitation on it that it did, it would be completely busted. As is, you do need to be a little bit selective of where you want to use it, but you can still get so much use out of this thing. It's really good. And the best weapon in the game I'm going to give to the Star Crash. The Star Crash, in short, is a barrier weapon just like Skullman's. You can put it up, and you can run and jump, and you can safely jump through enemies that would otherwise be in danger of knocking you out. Unlike the Skull Barrier, if I remember right, the Skull Barrier had a bad habit of popping on a projectile and then letting the projectile through. The Star Crash does actually block the shot, and as a final upgrade to the Star Crash, if you press the button again, you can still throw it as a projectile it does still give you a throwable weapon while you are using it. Its limitation is that it does have a little bit lower ammo than I remember most of the previous shield weapons using, and I could be wrong about that. I already mentioned in the previous game, the Skull Barrier was one of the better weapons in this game, and I feel like the Star Crash is basically just an upgrade to it, so... But that's not actually the best weapon in this game, even though I've already covered the A-Robot Master Weapons and the Additional Weapon, because there is one more weapon. When you complete all eight of those optional letters, and it's not easy to do, but you can probably find them all pretty reasonably. Once you collect all eight of the letters, you will unlock Mega Man's new robotic companion, Beat the Bird. Beat is this fat little bluebird who comes down when Mega Man whistles for him. Then, once he reaches Mega Man, he will pick an enemy that's on screen, fly over to it, bash its face in, and then fly back. Every time Beat flies out to do damage, he will lose a little bit of weapon energy, but But here's the deal with Beat. He just kills things for you. (laughs) You just turn him on and you go. You let him do his thing, and he clears out enemies for you. It's great for taking care of enemies in out-of-the-way locations, like Gyro Attack or Gravity Hold would have done. It makes one of the most painful bosses in this game a joke, as we'll find out in the Fortress stages. And then he is the weakness of multiple different Fortress bosses. Beat is just a really fun, really effective, really straightforward and easy-to-use weapon. He kicks bird butt. Anyway, having beaten the eight Robot Masters, we need to go tackle Proto-Man. Which, now that I think about it, since we knew that we were going to be dealing with Proto-Man, why do we have to fight Robot Masters? Has Proto-Man been building additional robots? Have we reached robotception where they can create themselves? I don't know if this is ever really covered. It's a little bit weird now that I think about it. (laughs) Anyway, Proto-Man's Fortress. I've noticed that the recording is definitely going a little long at this point, so I'll try to speed up the fortress stages, because in many ways we know how this goes down. At this point in the games, they are largely aiming to reuse assets and structures, but there are some fun things to call out. Stage one is pretty much like you expect. It's the storm the outside of the fortress. Maybe use your tools to climb a little bit. One thing I actually do want to shout out about this game is this game is relatively safe in terms of potential weapon screw where you run out of items that allow you to cross over certain obstacles largely because all of the obstacles are designed in such a way that you can use the rush coil the rush jet or the super arrow in order to cross an obstacle so like instead of having to use the jet over a gigantic gap you might have like a section of spikes that's too long for you to get across so you'll need to use one of the three traversal items but you can get across using any of them the boss in the first stage here, and in fact the first three stages of the protoman Man boss fights, are kind of robot masters in and of themselves. They're called the Dark Men. They're fairly generic looking that have uh, essentially different armaments attached to them. The first one, for instance, is themed after a tank, and he has a repeating cannon that kind of feels like a Gatling turret-ish thing attached to him. One of the other features that is pretty common to these Dark Men robots is... Kind of unique to them, they will speed up as they lose HP. So while this one will start the fight off being about as fast as you'd expect a tank to be, which is to say not, by the time the fight is over, he will be motoring his way around the room. The second stage, all I've got in my notes is that it's a lot more vertical of a stage, but shrug... (laughs) This dark man's gimmick is that there's like a rotating shield going around him, and not like in like a circle pattern around him, but it's literally like, it's almost like a pseudo 3D effect where there's two barriers that pass in front of and behind him, and like rotate past him. It's hard to describe on a 2D plane, but the point is, is this time you have to keep dodging this dude who's running towards you and also finding the opportunities and timing to actually hit him. Stage 3 introduces a little bit more interesting of gimmicks in that we're traversing over the top of the fortress, and so we've got not just more pits to deal with, but there's these sections where the platform is basically like, constantly fading in and out of existence. No, that's not a good way to describe it. If you've played Super Mario World, or some of the more recent Super Mario games in general, there's like the snake blocks, where it's creating more platforms in front of it while the previous ones disappear and you have to keep up with it. I feel like this game might have been out before Super Mario World. Hold on. Uh... No, actually. You know what knowledge I just got slapped in the face with by remembering? I just said this game was 1992. The Super Nintendo has been out for two years in Japan. This is screwing me up. I could have sworn that Mega Man jumped onto the SNES a lot earlier than that, but no, here we still are on the NES. Uh, spoilers, we are getting close to Mega Man X. But no, we're we're still on the NES a couple years after the SNES is released. That's really weird to me, now that I think about it. Anyway, the Dark Man for this stage is equipped with the ability to throw Cheerios that stop you in time. There's probably a better way to phrase that, but that's basically what it does that's special. Stage 4 is really unique, in that it is essentially a single-room puzzle. The idea here is that you are on an elevator that is trying to go up, but keeps getting stopped by these, like, stone blocks. You can destroy these blocks by using your regular buster, and only your regular buster. And when you destroy the lowermost block, the elevator will shudder and then jump up as high as it can until it it's another block. So you have to be careful how much you do or don't destroy, and when you destroy them, in order to ensure that you don't get accidentally slammed into a ceiling and killed. Really easy to figure out, but it just feels like a really weird, kind of slightly out-of-place gimmick, but also, like, as Wave Man's stage demonstrated, and Gravity Man's and stuff, they weren't afraid to experiment with stuff in this game? Anyway, we walk into Proto Man's room and pick a fight with him, and he immediately knocks us down to 1 HP. But before he can finish us off, we hear a familiar whistle, and Proto Man flies down. What? Uh... So, the actual Proto Man just showed up, and he fires a shot at the imposter Proto Man who kidnapped Dr. Light, revealing him to be another Dark Man robot, throws us some healing, and then gets the heck out because I don't know. Apparently, he was only concerned about this little bit. We can finish cleaning up the mess. He's a very dependable brother, by which I mean he's not dependable at all. Anyway, this final Darkman robot is kind of a mix of the previous ones. He has the same rotating shield as the second one, except this time he can literally, like, burst the shield outwards and cause it to go flying off the screen and then boomerang back. And that's, like, the best opening to hit him. He's fairly simple. But anyway, we defeat the fourth Dark Man robot, and Dr. Light's nowhere to be found. But what is to be found is Dr. Wily. Naturally, he's pissed off that we defeated his Dark Man robots and foiled his grand plan to frame Proto Man. Yeah, because, of course, where is Proto-Man going to get the money to build himself an entire fortress? Like, come on, the dude barely even shows up around Dr. Light. Like, he's a hobo out there somewhere. Anyway, surprise, surprise, we've got a second fortress, and it's Dr. Wily. Who would have guessed... Wily's Fortress brings back some bits, not just from this game, but from previous games. There's a lot of spikes and, like, conveyor belts that you need to carefully jump on. There's also the return of the Crusher segment from Dustman Stage, where you need to clear a path with your buster. Notably, unlike Dustman's Stage, you cannot use other weapons to clear a path this time. You can only interact with the stuff using your buster, which is a weird decision. If you're going to give us weapons, let us use them. It also has a really tense ending segment, where... You just have to like outrun and outslide the section as it comes down on your head to reach the end of the screen in time. It's hard to describe it in an audio medium, and it's hard to really get it across unless you are actually playing it, but it is a really tense little segment because you don't realize until you start making this dash that there is no choice but to make it to the end. At the end of it, we fight a boss whose name is... Um, I, I can't believe this. I put it down in my notes because it was so ridiculous. Its name is Big Pets. Big... P-E-T-S. It is a giant spiky totem pole made up of three sections, and I have no idea why they named it Big Pets. What? (laughs) Anyway, uh, in order to deal with this boss, you have to shoot his lower segments, which causes him to throw them out at you, and then you can jump onto those segments and basically climb them as they're extended outwards to hit him in the face. Kind of fun, but also potentially a long fight if you don't realize his weakness is the crystal Eye. In stage 2, we get more of like the spikes and little conveyor belt platforms. And and this time we're coupling them with water physics and like single tile jumps. And this is definitely a tougher stage here. This is the stage where I began to notice that even with the fact that we have multiple different traversal tools, my ammo was starting to run a little bit low for them. And then I have a note for the next stage saying, wait a moment, I'm a goddamn idiot. I had an M tank. If you remember right, the M-Tank is designed to refill your weapon ammo. There have been M-Tanks throughout Waii's Fortress, and I just hadn't been seeing them because I already had one and you can't pick up more than one. So if you were worried about weapon screw in this game, which has been a thing for like other games in varying degrees, this game is literally like, hey, let's just take the opportunity to just full refill your stuff. And I was definitely making it harder than it needed to be. The boss at the end of it is basically like a big turret face that's floating inside of like a steel ball. As it like flies around, it'll dip down on either side, and sometimes the sides of the ball will open up for no apparent reason, but it gives you an opportunity to get a projectile through. It's a weird and abstract boss that is actually kind of tough to hit, and especially to hit without getting hit in return, but isn't necessarily like hard overall. Stage three, surprise, we're on the second to last stage in this game. It's it's the boss rush. You get to fight all your old friends, so again, it's really nice that there are M tanks in this game, because it means you do have the freedom to have used all the other different kinds of weapons throughout the stages, and then just you reach this stage and you're just like, okay, I'm gonna chuck an M tank and then you get to go ham. After defeating all eight Robot Masters, though, the stage is not over, and you do have to defeat Wily. This is actually Wily piloting. This thing's weird to describe. The floor you are on is like a bunch of pistons with a spike pit in the center. Wily himself is in like a, basically like a UFO with a long metallic bottom, and what happens is he hovers overhead back and forth a bunch, trying to psych you out. Then he stops, and while he comes down, the floor comes up, and they try to flatten so you're probably going to have to jump across the center of the arena really abruptly and then turn around and hit him this one's a little bit tricky because the weapon that works the best is the star crash but the star crash is a wide projectile you have to like time it very very well in order to not have it just bounce off the bottom of the ufo because you have to be a certain amount of up in the air and it only travels so fast but it also does more damage than most other weapons so you do want to use it It's just tough to use for this purpose. A very, very simple boss, but a very difficult one to beat quickly. As our final stage, as is kind of becoming tradition at this point, we literally just drop down a pit and we fight Dr. Wily in this game's Wily Machine, which in traditional classic fashion is a giant tank with a skull feature that like drifts back and forth and fires projectiles. Interestingly, this boss is weak specifically to the super arrow. This is the one time that it as a weapon really gets to shine then we destroy that and dr wily boards his ufo and we get that fight which who boy um once again he teleports around pretty much at random appears whenever he wants disappears and goes invincible he drops a projectile onto the ground this time and fires like circling orbs as well that keep you from wanting to be too close to wherever he appears he would be fairly difficult but it is worth noting two things compared to previous games one we don't actually need to specifically use a given weapon in order to deal damage to him. Thank goodness. And second off, speaking of specific weapons, we have Beat, who is not just Dr. Wiley's weakness this time, but also Beat literally just tracks him down on his own. Sometimes Beat will even know where Dr. Wiley is before he has appeared because he's decided to start homing in and he will show off where Dr. Wiley is going to appear before damaging him the moment he's vulnerable. It's great. If you bothered to actually get the eight Mega Man letters, and have a gauge worth of beat saved up for this fight, then you get basically a free pass through it. The fight that should be really difficult is made really easy. Anyway, we beat Dr. Wily, we find Dr. Light trapped in a cage, and we bust him out. But then as is tradition, Wily's fortress starts collapsing, Wiley uses the confusion to escape while we're trying to protect dr light from being crushed but then proto man shows up to help us escape as well before taking off mysteriously again because not hanging around is what he does he's he's an edgy teenager who can't just be like oh yeah i like you guys know he has to be all like nope nope i'm i'm being sundary about it but with the day saved and dr Wiley escaped again and everything back to the way it pretty much was before we roll credits and we are done As this tradition of the classic Mega Man games, the soundtrack to this game is pretty dang good. I do really enjoy it, but I do always like to highlight a couple different tracks. So the first one I want to put as standing out is Charge Man's theme. Unfortunately, I don't have it here with the like click-clack-click-clack click, clack audio going on, but it's still got a really solid melody to it that just something about the pace of it really fits being on a train. This is not the first theme to do with trains that I have wanted to highlight, because there was the, the one-ending theme as well. Something about trains and Mega Man just works really well together, apparently. <laughs> second track i want to highlight this time is the final bosses theme actually specifically for the wily ufo because this is a fully fleshed out full-length boss track there's a really nice like i love the way the intro kicks off and just like drops out before kicking back in i love the melody to it has this villainous energy that absolutely fits dr wily without being like super serious or anything it's just a really good final track to listen to The fact that it is my favorite stage and one of my favorite bosses in NES Mega Man, Gravity Man stage also has an absolute banger of a track. It's got this it feels very traditionally Mega Man in some ways, but it also has this like sci-fi lab feel to it, which is where you are. It's jumps between like some different styles to it that are like a little bit alien or mysterious. I probably am a little bit biased, but you know what? I I really love this track. I think overall of Mega Man 5, heck yeah, I'd still love Mega Man 5. I mentioned this a ton when I was going through it, but I like I love a lot of the bosses in this game. They're very aggressive and get you actively moving and like feeling like you're really dueling them. The stages are like super thematically cohesive and fun to go through, and there was some interesting like stage experiments with what they could do with it. Like, really, I think the one thing that does hold this game back is that many of its weapons just aren't that exceptional. Some of them are outright trash. There's some cool ideas for weapons and some that almost make it really good, but it is—it isn't a great weapon selection. It isn't quite that strong, but this is, overall, I think this is probably, yeah, no, I think this is my favorite of the games that we've covered at this point. We're on to, like, episode 8, so... I mean, that's not really much in the grand scheme of things, but I i genuinely thought I'd come off harsher on this game in retrospect than I did, and while I was right and the weapons really weren't that great, like, everything else about this game is really fun and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I guess that about covers it for this episode. On our next episode, we're still going to be hanging out on the NES. We're not moving to Mega Man 6 yet. In fact, that's further away than you might expect. But we do have one other NES Mega Man game to tackle. And this will be our first non-platformer Mega Man game. And I'm sure some of you might know about it. But for those of you who don't, I think you'll be um, surprised at the places some Mega Man games have gone. Especially so early. Until then, thank you for listening. I've been Garlisle. If you want to get in touch about the show... I'm available at podcasting for at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at whatamipodcastfor 4 with the number 4. Drop by waipf.podbean.com to get more episodes or an RSS feed or hit up your favorite podcast provider of choice. At this point, I know I'm on Google Podcasts, I'm on Apple Podcasts, I should be on Spotify by this point, I think, and I'm trying to get on a couple others. I may have forgotten some already. Point is, is I'm probably where you would go to get your podcasts at this point. So, hey, once again, thanks for listening. And remember, the best way to defeat Dr. Wily is to give him the bird. Good night. Oh, God, I hope that that lawnmower in the back isn't getting caught. Or I guess chainsaw or whatever. Anyway, (laughs) sorry if it is.